Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 39 and 37 Detroit Pistons. Ben and I go over the impact Blake Griffin's knee soreness could have on the Pistons' playoff chase, Andre Drummond's sustained improvement on both ends over the final third of the season, and then Ben reminisces about the Bad Boys, uh, what they meant to the city of Detroit and the NBA as a whole. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello everyone, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing great, Laz. Probably not as good as you since we're recording like an hour from Michigan State's Thriller. What a fantastic game that was. Just a blast to watch. I was a, I was a nervous bundle of nerves the, uh, the entire time. Yeah, what a game. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited, but that's yeah. not why we're here. We're here to talk about the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the Pistons are 39 and 37. Uh, their 39 wins with six uh, games to go this season already matches uh, last season's win total. Uh, this week, they lost to Golden State and Denver to close out their 1-3 and road trip and then came back home and defeated uh, Orlando and Portland at home. Uh, they still haven't lost at home since February 2nd. I think it's, uh, it's 10 or 11 straight victories at home now, which is crazy to think about. Um, they're currently in the number six spot, a half game up on the Brooklyn Nets, a full game up on the Miami Heat, and a game and a half up on the Orlando Magic, who are in the nine spot. They have a greater than 99% chance of making the playoffs, according to 538, which is really odd to see. Because uh, like there's like the the in, there's like the greater than sign in, in the list of the playoff odds, and it just looks weird. It looks odd. Um, and their magic number is five with six games to play. So magic number is a combination of Detroit wins and teams below them losses. So Detroit wins two games and Orlando loses three games in the next uh, six games, like Detroit's in the playoffs. So with with all that, Ben, with the greater than 99% chance, according to 538, that the uh, Detroit Pistons are going to make the playoffs, is there any doubt in your mind that this is a playoff team? Laz, only because I have been a Pistons fan for the past decade do I have any lingering doubts. I feel like I have been trained over the last 10, 12, 13 years now to just expect the worst, right? Like anything that could go wrong goes wrong, and the Pistons miss the playoffs. But, man, those numbers, they, they sound pretty good. And I tell you what, this week, in my opinion, they certainly looked like a playoff team. Um, you know, tough loss on the road at Denver at the, at the end of a – long road trip. I think we kind of called that last week as, as when they were probably going to lose, but then impressive Victor victory over Orlando this, this week, pretty much a wire to wire lead or pretty close to it anyway. Uh, and then a solid win over a good 
Portland team without Blake Griffin. They they certainly to I, to my eyeballs look like a playoff team, and I'm just kind of having to fight fight back these these emotions, these trained feelings of defeatism that I've I've sort of grown accustomed to over the last bit. Yeah, I I like the fight that the Pistons displayed even even in their losses uh, to Golden State and to Denver. Um, Golden State, they made a nice uh, fourth quarter comeback to make that a seven-point game when that was a 20-point game uh, at, at certain points in the second half. And in Denver, they uh, they scored nine points in the first quarter and were down, I think, 25 in the, uh, in the first half and still only lost that game by three, made a game of it. But, uh, you know, still scoring nine points in a quarter is bad. And it happened twice this week where the Pistons had <laughs> really bad, yeah, Incredible. really bad first quarters. Uh, they scored eleven points in the first quarter against Portland and nine points against Denver. Um, ben, was there anything in particular you saw that was uh, wrong with the offense that that resulted in in such a such a bad offensive stretch for a full twelve minutes? Oh gosh, I mean, so the Portland game, you know, the the last second scratch of Blake Griffin, um, I think obviously rattled them, but. This has to be a fluke, right? I mean, we could overanalyze it to death, but this has not been a thing all season. So I honestly want to just write it off as a fluke. I don't know. Did you see something in particular that sticks out? The thing that stuck out, no, not not really. <laughs> <laughs> the In Denver, uh, it looked like a lot of tired legs, right? A lot of showouts were coming up short. Um even if they weren't running the the best offense to start the game in the first quarter against Denver, um, when they had settled down and when they had found uh, when the offense was running a little bit crisper, the shots just weren't going in because the guys were tired. And so, uh, and against Portland, like you said, they pulled Blake. Blake warmed up with the with the rest of the team, and then uh, was was pulled from the lineup and, and didn't go. And so, I think you can definitely forgive the. Uh, the last minute adjustment the the rest of the team had to make as a whole, uh, especially when you consider how they looked uh, after halftime with a with a full halftime period to uh, to adjust to the loss of Blake Griffin. And so, uh, I don't know. It's something I'm definitely going to keep my eye on because if it happens in the playoffs, that's going to be a real bad scene. But uh, no, I don't think there's anything like structural that's wrong with the Pistons' offense that results in uh, you know ten point quarters. Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it's a fluke, and if it happens again, I guess I'll eat my words. Right. So, uh, one thing that I think hasn't been a fluke is Andre Drummond's play over the last thirty games uh, since returning from his concussion that he suffered against the Miami Heat. He's averaging nineteen points, sixteen uh, rebounds, a block and a half, and uh, or no, one point five assists. Uh, 1.8 steals and 1.7 blocks a game. He's shooting 58% from the floor and a staggering 68% from the line. If you would have told me like three years ago that Andre would shoot almost 70% from the line, I would have like slapped you. I would have no idea what to do with that information. Uh, so this is this has been who Andre has been for the last 30 games. Uh, I think we can we've we've asked this question of Andre's play before. Like, is this sustainable? Is this uh, is this who he is now? And, but we've never had a stretch that's that's lasted as long as as this one. So Ben, uh, after a thirty game stretch, is this just who Andre is now? You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think so. Um, we've talked about this over the course of the season, so I won't rehash all of it. But just kind of in summary, my my thoughts about this are that um, 
before this team was really healthy, Luke Kennard injured, Reggie Bullock injured, in and out of the lineup, uh, Ish Smith injured, Renji Jackson not at 100%. Uh, I really think Andre Drummond was trying to carry too big of a load offensively. And I think that just really tanked his overall effectiveness on offense. Since the team has gotten healthy, I think what we've seen from Andre offensively is a much improved shot selection. Uh, I think you've also seen him engaged defensively, especially off the ball. Uh, He's made some fantastic plays in passing lanes. He's always been good at that, but I think in particular over the last 30 games, he's had some really memorable moments where that's happened. Uh, And I think overall, really, he's been the Pistons' best defender. Um, I think Bruce Brown is up there too, but I think Andre just does a little bit more, especially off the ball. Uh, That sets him apart. You know, in particular, his shot selection, I mentioned it's just been so good. Uh, He hasn't been forcing his post-up opportunities. He's been very content to play off the ball. Uh, He's had some, in particular, really nice dives from the short corner to the rim uh, when Ish has been penetrating, when Reggie's been penetrating, and then when Blake has been doing his thing. So, so I really like all of that. Um, the Orlando game is fresh in my mind because I watched the replay today. And offensively, like it, to me, this was just like Andre at his best. He was 9 for 10 from the floor. He didn't miss a shot, I think, until the fourth quarter. Not a single one of those shots was a forced shot. And, you know, as we mentioned, we sort of take it for granted. He's just dominant on the glass. So, um, you know, I'm going to go out and say, yeah, I, I think – I think Andre is who he is right now. I think we can expect like this 18-15, 19-16, one to two blocks, one to two steals. And if he can maintain this 60% plus from the line, you know, he sort of eliminates the hack strategy and it's no longer effective. It's no longer positive for the opposition. So I'm going to say, yeah. And then uh, as we're towards the end of the season, the last thing I'm going to say about this is I think Andre Drummond has put to rest quite definitively this idea that, he should be traded for cap space to, uh, to build around Blake Griffin or that he should even be traded at all unless it's a very lopsided trade in the Pistons' favor because I think he's proved that he's easily one of the top big men of his generation when he's playing within himself offensively because when he's producing offensively in the right role, it seems to motivate and energize him everywhere else. And we sort of see this all over the place and in, in every component of the game, Andre Drummond, that – Look, there's just very human beings on the planet who are physically capable of dealing with that. So, yeah, I think we've seen Andre Drummond blossom and bloom. And I'm really hopeful we've got four, five, six more years of this to look forward to as as Pistons fans. Yeah, I know. So I did the Inside the Cylinder podcast with uh, David Fernandez uh, this past weekend. And that was something that they talked about was uh, was the stretch that Andre has been having. And uh, they they kind of said their mea culpa is about wanting to uh, to trade Andre at the trade deadline. And uh, what I said there and what I'll repeat is that, you know, it was understandable earlier this season to want to trade Andre. Um, but I think at this point, it's fair to say that he was being uh, misutilized in, in the offense. And, and that was why, uh, and that, that caused a lot of the, the issues I think that people had with him. Um, we also see, like now that you mentioned, Reggie Jackson's healthy, and we've seen how fruitful that partnership can be um, when Reggie Jackson is healthy. And I think that also has a lot to do with the types of shots that the Pistons ask Andre to take. Um, without another perimeter creator uh, in Reggie, I think they they leaned on Andre to 
uh, create the the offense that they were looking to create, and uh, that wasn't necessarily that doesn't lend itself well to his skill set. And so there are definitely uh, times when Andre's going to frustrate us, but it looks to me like the the baseline level of his play on on both ends has just continued to increase over the last couple of years. And so, yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you that you know this is who Andre is now, especially if he's hitting 65% from the line. Um, it it no longer it's no longer uh, unrealistic for him to average you know 17, 18, 19 points a game. And, and at one point, I I thought it was unre- unrealistic because I never thought he'd uh, you know get to the free throw line enough. I thought he'd avoid free uh, contact and avoid getting to the free throw line at all. And when he did get there. Uh, he wouldn't hit the shots. And now um, we're seeing him be more aggressive. We're seeing him seek out contact. Uh, we're seeing him, you know, lower his shoulder and kind of get into guys because he's not afraid of going to the free throw line anymore. And uh, and he's seeing the effect that that can have because he's a big, strong, tall dude. When you put your shoulder into guys, like that's going to have an effect on them. And so I'm, I'm very excited about the way Andre has closed uh, this season. Um, it's still it's still only a quote unquote only a thirty game stretch. I think if he had played like this the entire season, he would definitely be in the conversation for say like third team All NBA. I think he uh, deserves to be at the, the lower bound of that conversation. But there are some guys who have kept up uh, a level of play that's been above him for the entirety of the year, and so those guys will get consideration ahead of him, understandably. But I don't want uh, the lack of I don't want him not making an all-star team and you know being on the outer bounds of the all-NBA uh, discussion to uh, obfuscate how how well Andre has played this season because if he if he only played as well as he had played last year the the Pistons wouldn't be in the position they're in currently and I think there there's definitely like something to be said uh, for his elevating his play and finding a way to make the team more successful make this team a a playoff team and credit to Dwayne Casey for figuring this out. I think early in the season, I was just banging my head against the wall because he seemed to be repeating all of the mistakes of Stan Van Gundy, at least from my perspective, what were mistakes with respect to Andre Drummond. I was just way overutilizing him and forcing him into the post. And uh, I think Casey figured that out and he may have known it all along, um, but he certainly demonstrated that he figured it out and, and credit to Andre Drummond for buying in and being willing to give up those one op- one-on-one opportunities, which just are not the best thing for the team. Yeah, I think that may have been a case of just Dwayne not knowing exactly what he had in Andre and seeing what the uh, the outer bounds of, of Andre's uh, offensive potential was. I think that was, when we go back to the, the preseason discussion about Andre shooting threes, uh, I think uh, Casey, like, mentioned, like, you know, I don't, is he going to be, like, a 40% shooter? Like, no, but I want him to have the confidence to to assert himself in the offense and i think that uh emboldening like that type of mentality um and then now later in the season pairing that with knowledge of exactly what andre like is and isn't capable of on offense is is definitely a credit uh to casey you're absolutely right ben okay so the the next thing i wanted to talk about was uh the not some not so great news uh from the detroit pistons uh we spoke about this a little bit earlier um, Blake Griffin didn't play in the Portland game. He warmed up with the team, but was held out uh, with left knee soreness. That is vague and uh, a little worrying. Um, 
I don't know if he will be available for tomorrow's game against Indianapolis. I haven't heard anything official from the team or any reputable sources. Um, this is, and this is something we've talked about on the podcast before. This is something that I've uh, placed a really high uh, emphasis on. If, uh, if Blake is, uh, is not available, this team goes from uh, just the long-term outlook of this team uh, lessens significantly. Um, and so if, if the, the Pistons are in a great position, if they're at this greater than 99% chance of making the playoffs and, and Blake is banged up, Ben, in, in your mind, uh, is there how much rest should the Pistons be looking to get Blake uh, before the end of the regular season? So I think they should try to get him rest, but I, I really think they need to get to that 41 win mark before they think too much about it. I'd be fine with them holding out of Indy uh, tomorrow night. Um, you know, I'm going to assume that because it was like this last minute game time scratch from the lineup that it really is just soreness. Unless we hear something else, it's hard for me to believe they'd have him go warm up if there's something structurally wrong with the knee. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm going to try to be positive on that front and assume it's, it really is just soreness. Um, because there's certainly nothing in his play this week that suggested he was injured in any way. Um, but I'd like to see them win one of those games against Indy. So maybe rest him tomorrow, um, bring him back. I think it's Wednesday. I think they have a day break in between. Um, I think that's an important game. Um, I also think they really need to beat Charlotte. Um, that's sort of one. Charlotte's pretty much out of the picture now. So you got to pick that one up and then they're going to close with two easy ones at the end of the year. They've got Memphis and New York in there. So I think get yourself to 41 wins and then look for opportunities to rest Blake and not even necessarily for full games, although you can do that if that luxury is available to you. Um, but I think, for example, against Orlando, as I mentioned, that one's fresh because I just watched this replay. You know, the Pistons were up something like 17 or 19 points with four minutes left, and they didn't sit Blake until the two-minute mark. And so I, I personally, I'd just be looking for those ways to pull him out of those scenarios where, you know, something freaky could happen. Maybe look at like a 26-minute minute restriction or something for some of these games where, um, you know, winning isn't going to make or break anything. Because, you know, the reality is, Playoffs start tomorrow, they play Philly, right? So, you know, Blake is really their only big matchup advantage in that matchup. So if they want to win two games, they've got to have a, a healthy Blake Griffin. There's just no question about it. And that's true for anyone they would play. So every opportunity for rest, take it. And and not just entire games. Look for those opportunities to give him a break uh, while the game is happening. Keep him in rhythm so he's not going to the playoffs rusty, uh, but let him get some rest too. Yeah, I know that uh, – well – when Casey spoke after the Portland game, he said that he was not aware of like when the soreness injury occurred. So I don't know if it was anything traumatic, right? Like, I don't know if he, he banged knees with Aaron Gordon or something in the Orlando game. And that's why his knee was particularly sore. Um, but I I do think that we've talked about this in the past. Blake's undergone like a lot of wear and tear. Um, I think your, your prognosis of getting him rest in game is a good one um, that I was a little, I was a little frustrated. So the, despite the the big comeback that the Pistons made in Denver, I really thought that there was no way that the Pistons were going to ever, ever win that game. And so I was, I was pleased to see them come back. Uh, but at the same time, Blake ended up playing 38 minutes in a game in which the Pistons, I, I didn't really think the Pistons ever had a great chance of winning that game. And so uh, for him to play 38 minutes in the third game in four nights, I, I thought that was probably, you know, too many minutes. And so that'll definitely be something we, we should keep an eye on 
as uh, as these games go on. Um, obviously, if Blake is sore, is too sore to play against Indianapolis tomorrow night, um, this is something we'll we'll continue to watch and, and keep an eye on. But uh, I think you're right in that if they're if they were letting him warm up and if uh, if they were letting him like uh, go with the team essentially. I don't think this is something long-term. It's, this is just something that I personally am keeping a, a big eye on because it's something I'm extremely worried about. Like we've seen, uh, we've seen how teams' fortunes can change drastically with uh, with nicks and bruises to uh, to their star players. Uh, Oklahoma City has been playing much worse since uh, Paul George sustained a shoulder injury, for example. Um, Portland, we just saw Portland lose their starting center, Yusuf Nurkic, to a, a lower oh. leg injury. Yeah, that was a that was a really gruesome injury, and uh, they're obviously going to be less effective defensively because of that. And I think, like the we've seen, uh, the Sixers are holding out Joel Embiid for the entirety of this uh, of this road trip to uh, to keep his uh, to keep his knees from from being sore. And so uh, the Pistons are still in the midst of a playoff chase. Obviously, we we need to win as many games as possible, but. Uh, with with the way that uh, injuries are being handled kind of in today's NBA and the the outsized impact that an injury can have on a team that is structured around Blake Griffin as heavily as, as the Detroit Pistons are, um, I think that it's probably good to uh, find creative ways to get Blake rest, as you put it. Okay. Uh, the, the second to last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, in the game against Portland. The, uh, the Pistons honored the 89-90 championship team. Um, and one of your tweets got me thinking. You tweeted, you know, how many of these people are, you know, were alive to remember the uh, the championship game, the championship team against Portland. And I have to confess that, you know, I, I kind of wasn't. You know, I was, uh, I was born in October of 1990. So I actually, like, legitimately missed the, the entirety of the Bad Boys mm. run. <laughs> and so I wanted to give you the floor to, to wax poetic about those teams uh, just reminisce with uh with the rest of us yeah that was wild I you know I was just thinking during the game like 30 years that's that's a long time <laughs> and uh I'm betting that Pistons Twitter at least a big chunk of us uh, weren't around for that I fortunately was so I was born in 83 so my earliest memories of basketball are um, you know, the University of Michigan Wolverines championship team, Terry Mills, Glenn Rice, Will Robinson, all those guys. And then uh, on the pro side of the ball, it was uh, the bad boys. So, you know, for me, uh, these were my super formative years in terms of understanding what the game of basketball was all about, what it meant to be a teammate, how to play the game and all of those things. So, you know, these are these are my earliest memories. They're, they're cl- as close to sacred as you can get in terms of, you know, sports fandom. Um, you know, I was the kind of kid who was so into the Pistons that I would literally cry when they would lose and I would say bedtime prayers <laughs> that they would win. I mean, I was that into the Detroit Pistons. Um, I remember, for example, uh, the Vinnie, Jan- the Vinnie Johnson shot, but only because, um, we were on vacation as a family and my parents made me go to bed <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, t- woke my parents up and told me to tell me what happened. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I was just a little tight, but you know, that team, I think the things that if you didn't watch this team, um, if you did watch the going to work championships and you didn't watch the bad boys, um, the going to work Pistons were, totally unique in that era of the NBA. So unique, in fact, that 
you know, the NBA literally changed the rules to essentially nerf the Pistons defense. Um, and it, it wasn't just the Pistons at that time. It was sort of the league as a whole had really slowed down, but the Pistons were the, the biggest benefactor of this really aggressive style of defense, turn the clock back another 15 years. And you've got, you know, that times two or three, uh, the Pistons were probably the most hated team in the entire NBA. Uh, I don't think anybody hated Bill Lambeer and Rick Mahorn and, and Dennis Rodman. I, I think those were probably three of the most hated guys in all of the NBA's history. If you weren't a Pistons fan, and you were a fan of any other team in the NBA, you hated those guys as much as you hated anybody. And, and I think they really redefined the NBA. I think the, the way that they played the game had never really been done before, and it certainly was never replicated after. Um, their offense was never very good. It was essentially Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars and a few other guys who came off the bench like Mark Rewire and Vinnie Johnson uh, they won because of how dominant they were defensively in, in an era where the three-point shot was just you know not really a thing that mattered very much. Uh, they dominated mercilessly uh, on the inside of the paint. So, um, and, and then I think the last thing that I really took away from being a, a Bad Boys fan uh, that young in my life was that basketball is a team game. Um, that was not a team that was defined by a superstar. Isaiah Thomas was as close as you got. But when you look at, you know, his scoring numbers, even in the, at the peak of what they were doing, um, they, he was dwarfed by other NBA players in terms of points per game and all of those things. They won because the entire team was bought, bought into a specific way of playing basketball. Um, McCloskey built a team and architected a team that fit well together, right? All eight, nine guys in the rotation made sense. There was never a moment where you looked at that roster um, and thought, what the heck are they trying to do, right? It was crystal clear. This is the kind of ball we want to play. These are the kind of players we're going to get. And then we're going to do it, and we're going to do it so well uh, that we're going to win two NBA championships in a row. And look, they weren't far away um, from being a three-peat. I mean, it, it was really close. It could have been a three-peat. So, um, you know, I could talk a long time about the bad boys. Um, if you've never watch the bad boys other than highlights youtube is your friend there are so many fantastic um clips and entire games out there where you can go watch um you can go watch a relic essentially i mean the the way that basketball was played was so dramatically different uh, keith langloy tweeted about vinnie johnson's unique brand of basketball for example if you could take blake griffin and put him in a shooting guard's body you'd essentially get vinnie johnson i mean he just played this unique brand of ball where he essentially bullied his way into the paint uh, up and unders and, and mid range jump shots. And um, you know, there's no one like that in the NBA more. The game has changed so dramatically uh, over the last 30 years that you'll just never see anything like that. So if you're a Pistons fan, you absolutely owe it to yourself to go back and watch that history. Um, you will fall in love with Bill Lambier. You will fall in love with Rick Mahorn and you will fall in love with Dennis Rodman. And uh, at times it'll look more like a hockey game than a basketball game, but uh, you'll definitely uh, develop an appreciation for it. And and I think, you know, as the Pistons move forward, um, you know, whatever team they try to build, the bad boys loom so large. And um, the ethos of that team was so in touch with the ethos of the city. Um, and I think that's something, you know, obviously the game will never be played the way it was then. Um, but the city of Detroit is still the city of Detroit. And there's still that hard work, blue chip mentality um, that comes from the bad boys and it's, it's still really part of the fan base and the culture of the team today. So yeah, absolutely. It's fun to, to see the highlights. If you had the, um, 
NBA TV feed like I had. We got to see all of the cool uh, stuff that was going on during, during commercials where they were putting up highlights of all the guys who were uh, there to be remembered. Um, so got to see some really cool memories uh, on the screen uh, as the game was happening. Yeah, I, the closest I've come to uh, my to knowing about the Bad Boys is the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on the Bad Boys, oh, yeah, is, which, is, which is quite good. Yeah. And uh, I believe is like all the other ESPN 30 for 30s on Netflix. And so if you're a Pistons fan and you have Netflix, which you probably do, like you can go out and watch that tonight and just and reminisce with Ben. But uh, I think the, the other thing that struck me um, when I watch old uh, film of the Bad Boys is just how, how much better Isaiah Thomas would be in a league that uh, is more like today's NBA, in a league that, that valued spacing and, and dribble penetration. And and in a league that was more, uh, I think, loose with uh, with statistical numbers, right? Uh, I think I- Isaiah would uh, would average uh, more assists under the uh, the scorekeeping that uh, that we have right now, and and with more space, uh, I think he'd be with uh, with the knowledge and the uh, the space that the three point sh- the threat of the three point shot offers. Um, I think Isaiah would be uh, just he would be remembered more highly as as a star. Uh, in in the league um in a, under a different uh set of rules and in a different uh time period he was truly uh, a man ahead of his time and you know that's something he something he kind of brought up when he was talking to rod beard of the detroit news that he he doesn't he doesn't think and i think correctly that the those bad boys teams get enough credit uh in nba history and kind of nba lore uh for being you know back-to-back champions for for being in uh and instilling and inflicting a, a style of play on the rest of the league that was so dominant. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, the Isaiah Thomas conversation is so fascinating because he, he was the offense, right? I mean, there just wasn't anything around him. And so, you know, I think if, if you're into advanced numbers, like I am, like you can look at his numbers and compare like his shooting percentages across the league and they're not, they don't jump off the page at you, but it's impossible to ignore the context. It's impossible to ignore the fact that the Pistons offense was essentially Isaiah and, and a couple other guys doing a few other things. And it's impossible to ignore that. Yes. He was a, a little guy playing against defenses that simply packed the paint nonstop. Right. And, and it, you're exactly right. In a game um, where space was valued and is valued like it is now, his individual numbers as a scorer would certainly go up. Um, you have to think that he would develop a three point shot as well. I mean, he grew up in an era where the three point shot, didn't matter. I mean, I think if I remember correctly, Bill Beard led the team in three-point shot attempts per game. It was like 1.7 or something ridiculous like that. I mean, they just didn't shoot threes. It wasn't a thing that happened. So you can certainly imagine Isaiah Thomas, you know, developing a pull-up three uh, that, that impacts his own ability to not only boost his field goal percentage and scoring, but forces defenses to guard him differently. And then he was a fantastic passer. I mean, he was just a, a wonderful passer give him three shooters like you would have in today's NBA. And I think you're right. You're looking at a guy who's probably scoring 20 to 25 points and, and racking them eight to 12 assists, which is elite, you know, historically elite kind of yeah. numbers. All right. That's uh, let's, let's bring it back to 2019. <laughs> yeah. I told you I could talk about it. A long no, no, time. No, I don't, I don't blame <laughs> you. We'll, uh, we'll have to do uh, some episodes like that sometime, but uh, this season, this season is over in 11 days, believe it or not. 
Hard to believe. Yeah, the yeah. Pistons have a home and home with Indiana this week. We spoke about that earlier. They play uh, at OKC, and then they return home to play Charlotte a week from today. Um, ben, the Pistons have 39 wins right now. If we podcast after the Charlotte game, which I believe is a, it's a 4 p.m. game, so we'll have time to podcast after. Uh, do you think they have the uh, the 41 wins and, and their plus 500 record locked up for the year? Depends on if they sit Blake Griffin. Uh, if they don't and Blake is healthy, I can certainly see them getting to 41 wins. 42 wins kind of feels like the magic number for the season to me, and that seems pretty realistic. Um, Blake Griffin plays four times between now and a week from now. Uh, 41 wins seems like a pretty realistic thing to happen. I don't know. What what are you thinking on that? I'm though? thinking that uh, so the, oh, the Thunder lost to Dallas today. Um, and so they, they look kind of more vulnerable than they have in the past. I spoke about Paul George's shoulder injury, and there's been a, a host of other concerns raised by, uh, by the Thunder faithful about how they're going to look heading into the playoffs. And so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But, um, and you know, Indiana has not, I think Indiana is still dangerous, but they have not played as well without Victor Oladipo, obviously. Um, and their, their record has shown, uh, their record has worsened significantly, um, their offense has gone through similarly long stretches of, of playing poorly. Uh, they had a third quarter. They've had a couple really bad third quarters in the last couple of weeks. And that's something I've, I've noticed uh, Indiana Pacers Twitter kind of bemoaning uh, over the last couple of weeks. And so perhaps the Pacers are, are more vulnerable than they, uh, than they first appear. But that said, I think we should, we should play it safe. Um, 42, 43 wins still does kind of feel like the magic number there. And so uh, I think this time next week, we're, we're talking about a 41 win uh, Detroit Pistons team, Detroit Pistons team. All right, Ben, uh, now is my, my favorite part of the podcast, the part where I get to say that the Michigan State Spartans are going to the final four. Yeah, it's incredible. I told you, man, last week, I, they just, they looked so strong and they proved it. Duke Duke is obviously a fantastic team. Zion obviously went nuts, especially in the second half. And and they had answers at literally every step of that second half. So they they look exactly like a, a Tom Izzo team looks, right? They round into form at exactly the right time. They That team uh, attacked the glass uh, on both ends with the trademark relentless list that, is, that Izzo instills uh, in his Michigan State teams. I think that um, uh, I don't know if Cassius Winston is a, a surefire NBA draft prospect, but I do know that he's an extremely talented college point guard. And having a guy like that matters so much uh, in the college game, having a guy who can both uh, create and distribute and you, know, you can rely on to take care of the ball for the most part. That's that's so vital uh, in, in college basketball where every possession uh, – because of the longer shot clock and the shorter game, every possession literally means more. Um, I think that uh, Zion is obviously a, a wonderful player, a very physically talented player, a very skilled player for uh, mm-hmm. despite his physical dominance, which is which is why I think he's the number one prospect in the draft. But Michigan State had the had the bodies to throw at him and, and in front of him and, and in his way and and. And in that way, we're able to uh, kind of limit the damage he could inflict. Um, I would like to thank RJ Barrett for missing those free throws. That was very helpful. Yeah. Thank you, RJ. Well, missing a free throw and then accidentally making a free throw. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. 
Um, I would like to thank whoever on Coach K's staff did not uh, tell his team to foul at the end of the game. I don't know what that was about. It seemed like they their their coverage got blown and they they lost the the one guy on the floor you knew Michigan State wanted to pass the ball to the entire time. I don't know how that happens. I'm not complaining, but um, uh, and you know the the out of bounds play that Izzo drew up for for Kenny Goins who had struggled. Yeah, that was brilliant coaching. It struggled the the entire night to get a wide open shot, and that's Zion's yeah. man. They're scheming yeah. against Zion in the clutch, and it and it works. And Kenny, you know, makes the shot. And he said uh, after the game, it felt good as soon as he left his hand. Like that's that's literally magical. And like that. Oh yeah, it was pure too. Is, it was. I barely touched the rim. That is exactly what what you're looking for uh, in in a March Madness Elite Eight game to make it to the Final Four. I'm super excited. We'll see what uh, Texas Tech holds. Uh, do you have a you have a scouting report for me for Texas Tech? <laughs> Texas Tech, man, I don't know. They got the one dude Culvert, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, they're better than their seating, right? I mean, they're they're tough. Um, you know, Michigan has struggled all season against really hard nosed defenses, and I don't know that Texas Tech's defense is hard nosed, but I know that they played hard nosed defense against the Wolverines um, and the Wolverines just there's they're young and they weren't seasoned and they didn't know how to deal with it. Just like they haven't known how to deal with it all season. Um, the Sparties, they, they just look much more seasoned. They look much more like a finished project. Um, you know, they've got a couple guys who are a little bit older to steady the ship. Um, so I don't expect that that defense will be as stifling for MSU. Um, defensively, I don't know much about your swing, man, but I think Texas Tech does the bulk of its damage through German penetration from Culver. So that, I think, is the – that's a key matchup. If you can limit his damage, I, I think you probably got a pretty good chance of winning that one. All right. Uh, the swingmen are McQuaid and, and Henry and then Brown off the bench. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I think McQuaid did an admirable job on, on R.J. Barrett uh, tonight. And uh, – yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't know how this game is going to go. I didn't. I honestly didn't expect to win this game. I'm so excited, Ben. No, I, I, I expected him to play tough, but I thought Zion would be too much, and you know he was good. But uh, as you mentioned, they had just enough to like slow him down and make him work really hard, and and I don't think he's had to deal with that a whole lot this season. So the Big Ten, I mean, it, the Big Ten acquitted itself once again pretty well in this tournament. I have to say. Oh yeah, definitely the. Uh, the Purdue Boilermakers of all teams being, oh my being that close to the Final Four. Just... They were inches away. Oh. Anyway, all right. Uh, all right, Ben, what's the, uh, what's the best way for people to get in t- contact with you to, uh, to reminisce about the bad boys and to, uh, to share uh, in the distraught about the, uh, the Michigan Wolverines? <laughs> oh, man, I'm pretty much over the Wolverines, fortunately. Um, but yeah, come talk bad boys. Um, I'm of the mind that uh, Bill Ambeer, Dennis Rodman, Rick Mahorn, those those big guys were as essential to the bad boy success as Isaiah Thomas was. I think they played uh, to, to compare it to a newer team. I kind of feel like Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace. You don't you don't get as far as you do without one of those guys. I feel like it's the same thing about the bad boys. You you just if you take one of those pieces out of the equation, the two bigs are Isaiah Thomas. The bad boys are just a team that's easily forgotten in history. Um, I think most people tend to look back at Isaiah as the greatest piston ever. Uh, I'd I'd fight you about that, and you could fight about that on Twitter with me at BR Golfer. I don't. I'd have to take a look statistically at uh, at who the greatest piston ever would be. 
but I definitely think uh, Isaiah would be up there. But uh, I would not be as willing to fight uh, with you over that just because I'm, I'm working for him from recalled memory and not, and not live memory. <laughs> but uh, if you yeah. want to talk about this year's team, if you want to talk about um, how much Blake Griffin should be resting or not resting down the stretch, if you want to talk about playoff matchups, you can obviously do that at uh, on Twitter at last chance. That's at L a Z C H a N C E. This has been the Detroit bad boys podcast. Uh, thanks for li- listening. Everyone. We're super excited about the playoffs and we'll talk to you next week.